Greetings and welcome to Surf's Up, a Beach Boys podcast safari. My name is Mark Dillon, author of 50 Sides of the Beach Boys, and I am here today with my partner, Phil Migliorati. Hi, Phil. Hello, Mark. Great to be with you again. And uh, this is a conversation you and I have been looking forward to for several months. Can't wait to get going. Yeah, we're very excited to have on the show today Brent Wilson, producer, director, and co-writer of the new documentary Brian Wilson, Long Promised Road, and Jason Fine, editor of Rolling Stone magazine, who is also co-writer and is featured in the film alongside Brian. Phil and I got to see a preview of the film and did an episode about it several months ago, so it's great to have the guys behind it here with us to talk about it. Now, Brent got his start directing videos for the likes of InSync, Britney Spears, and the Backstreet Boys, and went on to amass extensive TV producing credits on shows including So You Think You Can Dance and American Idol, and he has directed documentaries including Streetlight Harmonies about the history of doo-wop. He is not related to the Beach Boys Wilsons. Jason Fine is the editor of Rolling Stone. He joined the esteemed publication in 1997 as an associate editor and has done extensive writing for the publication, including in-depth and acclaimed interviews with Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard, and Brian Wilson. He has also edited books on Cash, George Harrison, and Michael Jackson. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. What a fantastic introduction. It makes it sound like we almost kind of know what we're doing, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> no, very good. Thank you guys for having us on. It, uh, it's a pleasure It's uh, to be able to speak directly to, uh, to the Beach Boy fans and uh, Brian Wilson fans uh, through this. Is, uh, it's a real pleasure. So thank you, guys. So Long Promised Road, the documentary premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival in June and was acquired by Screen Media for release in theaters and VOD in November. So can you tell us about the exact dates and, and the scale of the release? Sure. Um, November 17th, um, we're going to have a kind of a fans only theatrical screening um, that'll be in about 100 cities. So kind of check your local listings for, uh, for November 17th. Um, and then the film will open up November 19th uh, in theaters and on video on demand. And it'll be in the usual kind of video on demand places that, uh, that you'll find. And, and then uh, theatrically, it'll also be in, uh, in select cities. But it's, it's well over 100 cities. So I would say check out uh, kind of your local listings. Uh, check out uh, brianwilsonlongpromiseroad.com or screenmedia.com and, and you can find a city. Can you elaborate on fan-only theatrical screenings? That's what they're calling it. It's um, it's a sneak peek, essentially, um, for 17th. So what, what what I like about it is that I think that's a, it's, it's a night that um, um, it's a it's a Wednesday night. So I think it's going to be one of those screenings where somebody, you know, who's the real fan and really wants to see this with other fans, um, it's going to give them an opportunity to uh, uh, to see it before, you know, maybe uh, the general public would. And so you won an award for this film for uh, Best Documentary Film at the Nashville Film Festival. We did. Yes, we did. Yeah, very proud of that. We, um, we've played two festivals. We opened at Tribeca uh, in June, which was, uh, which was fantastic. We delayed the film for a year. And, um, of course, due to COVID. So we got, uh, got a chance to, uh, to, to premiere at Tribeca, which was wonderful. And then we wanted to get in one more festival before... Um, uh, before the the film came out, and uh, we were invited by the Nashville Film Festival to uh, to attend, and yeah, it's Nashville, such a great city. Who who would want to say no? So we went there, had a really good time, and then we're fortunate enough to yeah, to win uh, best uh, best documentary in the, the music category. That's great! Congratulations. Thank you. Um, you know, I think the title "Long Promised Road" could very well apply to the process of of making this film. So so why don't you tell us about the genesis of the film and how Jason came on board here? Sure. No, you're absolutely right. Long Promise Road definitely applies <laughs> to the making of this film. It has been a it has been a long journey. Um, just kind of briefly, I um, I met Brian and his team uh, doing a documentary, uh, Streetlight Harmonies, which is the doc we did a few years ago uh, on the history of doo-wop music. And the Beach Boys certainly play a part of that story. Um, particularly the beginning, Brian was a big doo-wop fan. And, you know, if you listen to surfing, of course, you know, you hear those great doo-wop vocals right there on surfing. And so we, uh, we interviewed Brian as a part of, uh, uh of that film. Um, after that project was wrapped, we started talking about, you know, my producers and I, uh, Teresa Page, Tim Heddington, we started talking about what he wanted to do next. And I just felt like there was, um, something still to be told in Brian's story. 
Love and Mercy had just come out and um, it was amazing and loved it. Um, but I think, you know, where the film ends, I'm sure most fans have seen it and would know that, you know, the film ends where, you know, him and Melinda reconnect, um, you know, there in the, in the mid eighties, I suppose it was maybe, maybe early nineties, but since then, Brian has you know, released several great albums and he's toured the world and he's adopted these amazing children and he's lived this incredible third act of his life. And I thought that was a, a fascinating subject for, uh, for a film. And that's so we reached out to them and unfortunately they agreed. And uh, yeah, we began this uh, this long journey together. But uh, you needed Jason to get Brian to open up on camera, didn't you? Yes, we did. <laughs> yeah, well, I, there, there's no film without Jason Fine. Make no mistake. <laughs> I absolutely recognize it. Uh, yeah, right off the bat. Um, yeah, there was a. Um, I tried to interview Brian in the beginning, um, and I think anyone who knows, anyone who's a fan, you've seen the YouTube clips. You've seen, you know, Brian's just not. He doesn't like to be interviewed. He just flat out doesn't like it. And um, one of the great things that I love about Brian is he's got nothing to prove. And not only does he not like it, you know, he's comfortable with his place in history. He's comfortable with his music. He likes his music. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't, you know, all those usual things that would kind of maybe motivate somebody um, don't motivate Brian. And yeah, and then just add in the fact that he just doesn't like to do it. It was pretty much a disaster. As a matter of fact, I think the first time I met Jason, we were heading up to Santa Barbara and uh, yeah, Jason saw firsthand how difficult it was for me. <laughs> <laughs> you, when, when, when Brian let him out on the side of the road on the 101, somewhere between LA and Santa Barbara with his camera. <laughs> he kicked you out of the car. He kicked me off the bus. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we were driving up to Santa Barbara and um, it was the bus. The kids were on the bus and uh, he was doing a show up there and had asked permission to shoot Brian on the bus. And, you know, thinking that he might be in the back and hanging with the kids or maybe even talking to Jason. And, um, you know, he, Brian just sat up at the front of the bus, his feet up on the dash, didn't say a word. And about halfway up there, the bus pulled over and said, that's enough of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Jason, this movie, it really, in a way, takes the structure of articles you've written for Rolling Stone. Like I've, re I've read your stories about driving around uh, with, with Brian Wilson and, and going to the old haunts and and talking about the old times. So so is was this ultimately the kind of environment that you would get Brian to, to loosen up in? Yeah, I mean, um this sort of brought the, you know, the, the ways that I've approached writing about Brian to life in a new way. Um, you know, we have spent a lot of time going down to Malibu, looking around at places that are meaningful to him. And I've often thought being with Brian, whether it's walking in the park or whether it's just going to eat sushi or, or driving down to Malibu that, you know, he lives now 10 miles, 15 miles from where he grew up. Um, he's lived his whole life except that six months in Holland. Um, and, and when he's on tour, you know, in this one part of the world and you drive around with him and you just imagine what he must be seeing, thinking about the inspirations that he took from different places that he went and soaking that up with him has been a really, you know, great privilege in my life and as a journalist. Um, and so the, the idea to do it that way for the film just made sense. You know, also the car, obviously is a, is, is a great um, tool to look at California and think about California. LA is the, is the car city and obviously the Beach Boys early songs, you know, dealt with cars a lot. But at the same time, when you're in a car with someone, it's a really sort of comfortable environment. It's not a forced environment. You don't need to be talking all the time, right? You're used to listening to the music or spacing out and looking out the window. Conversations can start and stop. And that really works well with Brian. Um, you can kind of, he can talk when he wants to, he can relax when he wants to. Um, and the memories kind of came forward that way. So it felt very natural. Jason, it seemed to me watching it, you made a very difficult task, if I can use that word. I know it was probably a, a great fun experience as well, but you made something very difficult look 
just effortlessly. But yet I think of it, you're, you're a journalist. So you're thinking more than just, hi, Brian, how are you today? I mean, you're thinking of the future product. Uh, you are a friend. You have become friends. So you didn't want to abrogate that kind of relationship, trying to get something for, for the film. And you're kind of a psychologist. Uh, and I don't mean that any criticism to Brian, but you're thinking interior mind issues of how to help him communicate what's in his mind and heart. And I think you did a great job at it. Thank you. Thank I think you. this I mean, is something that I think, you know, I'm, an old, I'm, I'm 73 uh, in a couple of weeks. I got grandkids. I'm thinking of their kids when none of us are around and none of the originals are around. How do they access the story of the Beach Boys, Brian Wilson? This has to be uh, one of the go-to things that uh, that generation will, will look at to find out who was this guy? How did he produce this? So long way of saying thank you. Uh, it, it was hard work, though, at times, wasn't it? it? Being with Brian, you know, you have to be ready for what happens. And you have to also be ready to eat a lot of sushi. Um, <laughs> that was. But, you know, you sort of you're not going to go and spend two hours with Brian and necessarily, you know, get your story. You kind of have to be there, you know, similar to the story Brent told about Santa Barbara. I, you know, I can remember a, a time when I'd been with Brian for about three days in Florida and sort of hadn't really gotten anything for a story that I was writing then. And then we were driving across Florida, across Alligator Alley, and it was going to be like a four hour drive. And I thought, all right, this is my chance, you know? And he just went in the front of the bus and listened to the oldie station and didn't want to talk at all. But when we got to the venue, the next venue, wherever that was, Fort Lauderdale, I think, he, he just started talking, you know, and he had a lot of thoughts. He'd been ruminating. And so sort of being there when it happens is, is really something that I've learned in spending time with Brian. Um, and also, you know, underneath all of that to me is so many people have tried to tell you who Brian is or what his story is or where he's coming from or what it all means, but very rarely does Brian get the chance to tell his own story. Um, and so for me, one of the things that I've tried to do and wanted to do for a long time is, is sort of just encourage the conditions in which he can tell his own story. Um, and that's what we tried to do. Well, you did that well. And for so many fans, we know of Brian's struggles. Um, it's, it's, it, in some ways, I, it's sad that we maybe know so much about his difficulties, but you allowed him to show us uh, at least uh, things of music, just how his mind is uh, like a still trap of information. He, he could tell you, you know, the modulation of the middle of this chorus of uh, do you want to dance or whatever. I mean, it, it's amazing. And uh, you were probably used to that because you became his friend earlier on, but uh, did, did that stuff stop surprising Yeah, I mean, his, his mind, you know, he, he has very specific memories and they open up little worlds for him. And it is amazing to see how he remembers things and the things that he really hones in on. At the same time, you also see, you know, he's funny, you know, he's, he, he enjoys life. He, he's got great jokes and a great sense of humor and timing. And he's also really, really aware of what's going on around him all the time. He's really perceptive, you know? Um, and so he's so sensitive to people around him and how they're feeling and what's going on with mm -hmm. them. And so being able to sort of let people into that a little bit, I think, you know, was important. And that was kind of one of the goals of this. I mean, you mentioned that, you know, a lot of Brian's fans like us understand his struggles. But, but most people actually don't, you know, outside of people like us who really love him and his music. A lot of people think, oh, still, you know, oh, he's a burnout from drugs in the 60s, whatever it was. And that was right. never the case. That's not who Brian was. You know, he's struggled with mental health issues courageously, you know, since he yes. was a young man. And I think being able to, to sort of have the opportunity to express that and maybe give other people some strength and hope was another goal. Uh, Jason, uh, I wanted to ask you a question, you know, putting on your, your Rolling Stone hat for a second. Um, and I know you have to run soon. So it's just very interesting. You've been at Rolling Stone for almost half of the publication's total lifespan. Uh, the Rolling Stone's 
appreciation of the Beach Boys has evolved greatly over the years. If we go back to the beginning, 1968, Jan Wenner said, the Beach Boys are just one prominent example of a group that has gotten hung up in trying to catch the Beatles. It is a pointless pursuit. Another writer that same year, the Beach Boys are a logical extension of Pat Boone and Ricky Nelson, as well as Paul Anka. They look like and perform like summer resort boozers, Fort Lauderdale weekend collegians. They sound like that too. <laughs> and then, and then <laughs> in 1971, you know, they had Sunflower, they had Surf's Up, Arthur Schmidt wrote all of a sudden, and, and based on some great shows too, they are perhaps still the most important and certainly the most accomplished of all American groups. And that year they got a famous cover story. 1973, Holland, one of the best uh, five albums of the year, according to Rolling Stone. 1974, Band of the Year. 2004, Robert Criscow gives five stars to Smile. Uh, 2012, you guys named Wild Honey the second coolest summer album of all time. And then in the most recent poll of uh, best albums of all time, Pet Sounds is number two. It's held that position since 2003. I'm wondering if in your lifespan there, has, has the Rolling Stone editorial staff's uh, appreciation of, of the Beach Boys continue that evolution? Is it different now than, than it was in 1997? Well, I mean, Brian's career is different than it was in 1997. So, I mean, the couple things I'll say is, I mean, you know, Rolling Stone was founded in 1967, the same year as the Monterey Pop Festival. The Beach Boys had, were sort of fast becoming very unhip at that time. Yes, that's true. Um, you know, the, the, the Beach Boys were really sort of in lockstep with the Beatles up until just before that. And the Beatles kept growing and the Beach Boys were seen to have sort of fallen off creatively and were sort of falling back into nostalgia even then after Smile fell apart and all that stuff. People really slept on those Beach Boys albums that came out after that, which we all know were tremendous and incredible. And looking back on them, we, we have this great wealth of music, but that really wasn't sort of how it was seen at the time. Um, and so I think Rolling Stone, you know, sort of diverged from the Beach Boys at that time. The, Rolling, the, the Beach Boys, you know, weren't that cool anymore. Um, so there was that. Um, there were always writers at Rolling Stone who loved the Beach Boys. Um, there was always a, a love for, for Brian's music in particular. When I started at Rolling Stone in 97, and I'd been writing for Rolling Stone, you know, in the years before that too, it just so happened to be at, right at the time when Brian was sort of mounting his first real solo career, um, putting his band together. I was at the first rehearsals of that group and at the first shows that they performed. So it kind of just fell in line with when I went on staff there and sort of became a beat of mine as being being a big Brian Wilson and Beach Boys fan. I do remember the, the I hadn't even worked at Rolling Stone when I was flying out to uh, St. Charles, Illinois to see Brian when they were building this band up to go on tour. And I remember I had my bags and I was going down the, 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 the uh, elevator and I ran into Jan, the owner, and Jan said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to interview Brian Wilson. And he sort of looked at me and sort of said, you know, interviews were a lot better when everyone did cocaine. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and he sort of, he sort of let me go, let me do it. But, um, you know, I just made that a thing that I was going to do and was fortunate enough to be able to sort of cover each step of Brian's solo career for Rolling Stone. So that, that's sort of how that happened. And I think, I do think that there is a whole new world generation of fans who love and recognize Brian's music. Um, you know, the Beach Boys as well, but Brian's role in the Beach Boys and a lot of those albums that got slept on in the you know late 60s and early 70s as being real masterpieces um, like Holland and like Sunflower and, and Surf's Up and, and even Friends. I mean, a lot of those records. So. I think there is a new appreciation. Um, and I think that is reflected in, in Rolling Stone. And, and, you know, I am some part of that, but not all of it. Jason, you, you mentioned that the, you were there when St. Charles, I, I lived not far from there at the time, and the, the, the excitement and wonder of Brian Wilson about to do a you know, solo concert, what, what would this be like? Was there any sense of, uh, how could they? But I, I'm just wondering what it would what what was it like to be there and 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 see what was happening in the moment. But but was there any sense of how big this could be? In other words, a, a full blown career for him? Because I, I, I think you they know, were wondering, would we even get through the first show? Yeah, I mean, you know, Brian. There were so many for so many years, sort of, you know, stalled out 
sort of comebacks or restarts or things like that, that you didn't really know, but what, and Brian was very, very nervous. So, you know, it didn't seem like it was a natural thing for him to do. But what I did sense right from day one was how incredible this band was, you know, that that had come together, the nucleus of the wonderments. And then the, the guys from Chicago, you could just see, how incredible this this band was and how it could lift Brian up even on a bad night and create this music that honestly I mean a lot of those songs that that they play had never really been even played live you know yeah. I mean the yeah. Beach Boys didn't play them Mike Love didn't play them so um you sensed that there was the possibility of this coming together in a different way there was this love there was this bond but Brian was very very nervous was obviously not a very natural <clears throat> performer at that time and um you didn't really know didn't really yeah. know was bruce johnston there at that time i i think he did some of the early concerts with him he wasn't there when i was there i don't okay. remember that i mean i certainly spent a lot of time with bruce and with mike and with brian in 2012 but but not back then okay just thought i'd ask Jason, I know you have to go uh, and Brent is going to stay, but thank you so much for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed uh, the great conversations you and Brian had in the film. Oh, thank you so much. Love your guys' podcast and hope we can talk again really soon. I appreciate it. Sounds good. All right, Brent. So tell us what that Jason guy is really like. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the things I love about the film is that when you what you see is what you get out of Brian and Jason. And that was one of the really just kind of pleasant surprises of the film. I, um, I, uh, the love that they have for each other is so real. You know, you, you know, I think you can see how much Brian loves Jason and how much Jason loves Brian. And I remember sitting in the edit bay with the editor, our editor, Hector Lopez, and um, very early on and, and I, I thought to myself, you know what, this is, it's like a buddy movie now. Yeah. You know, this is, you know, I, I remember thinking it's, you know, it's kind of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, mm-hmm. or maybe it's, you know, the Shawshank Redemption. And um, uh, it's wow. one of the reviews that I'm, that I'm most proud of is there was a review, I think, in The Hollywood Reporter, and it said this film is as much about friendship and love as it is about music. And uh, I, I was very proud of that, that, that line because I, that came through to me. And I, I loved being a witness yeah. to their friendship. Well, it's interesting that statement you just made because my view is the kind of uh, people who listen to a podcast like this would say, well, that's, that's what it's always been for us with the Beach Boys and certainly as Brian has his own solo career and opened up his life and you find out so many good things and difficult things. It's as much about friendship and love as it is about the amazing uh, soundscapes that he produces. So you've done it well to uh, put this into a film that will, as I said earlier, help others who have not experienced this in real time, help others understand uh, why we were so jazzed about all this stuff. (laughs) That's great. Thank you. Thank you. And I got to say, and I I hope this doesn't sound arrogant or anything like that, but I, you know, I, I I took this project that seriously. I, I told the crew when we were doing this, that, you know, this is a film that I want people to watch a hundred years from now when they want to study and understand Brian Wilson. It's like, if there was 70 hours of footage of somebody with Mozart, how valuable would that be right now? You know, what would that mean to the world if we could have 70 hours of content with Monet? Um, that was that was my approach. I, 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 I didn't I didn't take this task lightly. I, I, I revere Brian that much and I believe his place in, in history is is of that ilk. And I wanted I wanted our crew and everybody to to understand that as well. Is that what what really propelled you into this uh, enterprise or adventure, uh, or did that kind of evolve as you began to listen and, and see the the flicks that you know the short clips that you had? No, I'm I'm a huge fan. Yeah, yeah, I'm a I, you know I I saw my very first uh, uh, Beach Boy concert at age nine. Um, and I don't know if Brian was there. I don't think he was. It was the keeping summer alive tour. 
um, and uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. So I don't think I don't think Brian was there, but I have I was hooked that uh, yeah. that summer, and uh, I got that album for my birthday. I still have that album. Um, I went to a show a few months after that. Um, I got to meet Dennis. Dennis was walking around backstage, and my uncle took me over and uh, waved at Dennis. And Dennis walked over and signed my program. And uh, you know, so I am, you know, I am a fan. And um, so when I start a project, um, I've got to. The documentaries are tough. They're hard. And they take a long time. And I've got to work on something that that I like and something that I, you know something that I love because, um, you know, you're going to listen to this music and you're going to live with these stories for a long time. And so uh, when the opportunity came to do, to do this project, I was like, yeah, absolutely. I can listen to the beach boys and Brian Wilson music for the next three years and I'll be okay. <laughs> you mentioned Dennis. Uh, and, and I think that the film is, is very much about the brothers. I mean, the, the final images of the film are, are of the brothers. And I'm wondering if, if this was sort of your plan or whether it, it sort of grew organically or, or whether this is perhaps how Brian wanted, wanted to direct conversations. No, it's a great question, Mark, and it was absolutely not a plan. I was, it's one of the surprises for me. There was, a, there was a lot of surprises for me in the film and getting to know Brian and, and been, you know, be, you know, doing this project. But one of the biggest surprises was how much Brian talks about Dennis and Carl, how much he misses Dennis and Carl. I didn't suspect going into the film, I didn't expect him to talk this much about his brothers. I suspected it was going to be too difficult for him. Um, and he just wouldn't want to go there emotionally. And of course, you know, I would never push Brian into a direction he doesn't want to go. You know, um, I have a kind of take a Hippocratic oath with these films. I don't, you know, do no harm. I would never want to you know, hurt Brian. So I would never push him any, in any direction. And I was so surprised that he just kept talking about Carl and Dennis and wanting to hear their musics and wanting and just reminisce about them. And so that very much formed um, what I think, as you said, is kind of the spine of the film. And um, uh, I, I knew when we got into the edit bay that this was, this was the heart of the film. It was Brian's love for his brothers. It's uh, really great to hear you say that. Cause for me, when I, discovered that there was this uh, film that was coming out on Brian called Long Promise Road. My first thought was, well, wait, that's Carl's song. <laughs> um, are you guys not, maybe you guys don't know the Beach Boys or something. Yes. <laughs> Forgive me, I actually yeah, Absolutely. Um, but it, so was Long Promise Road the title from the beginning or did it just become obvious that this truly was the best way to describe this, uh, this wonderful picture? Yeah, no, it was, um, it was, yeah, it was definitely uh, evolved out of, out of being with Brian and him kept requesting the song, you know, mm -hmm. you, you, you see it in the film. I think he, I think we show it twice in the film um, where he, where he asks yeah. to hear the song and since he, we had that, but you know, in the 70 hours of footage that we, you know, that we have uh, of Brian, he probably requested it 10 times. Wow. He just kept asking Jason to play that song. And um, we were we were talking about titles and um, and then it just struck me. I said, it, it is Brian. It's the song Brian kept asking to hear. It connects to his love for his brothers and the respect that I that he has for his brothers. And maybe he didn't express to them while they were alive. You know, that's just my yeah. speculation. Sure. Um, and uh, he's so proud of Carl and Dennis and he talks about it in the film. And I. I'm going to guess he, you know, probably like most of us, you know, we don't say it enough. Right. And I don't think Brian probably said it enough to his brothers and he just kept asking to hear their music. So when it came to do the title, I knew it was going to be a very controversial title. I knew the second that the title came out, I'm like, oh, my God, the fans are going to just crucify me because they're <laughs> all going to say that's not even a Brian Wilson song, even though, he, you know, he sings on the song and he has a writing credit on the song. And I knew we we're going to be crucified. And, you know, they always say never, uh, you know, never engage in, in social media. And I saw these posts one day on Brian's uh, uh, Instagram and I was like, 
I, I got to say something. And so, <laughs> and so I just wrote in there, I was like, just do me a favor and just wait until you see the film. And, and you know, before you start to criticize it, just give it, give it a chance to see that this title, I think, does apply to the film and it does apply to Brian's life. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. And, and I hope they are. I hope I hope fans, when they see it, they'll come to understand. If they're not, then they're not true Beach Boy fans because they, they aren't paying attention. But Brian is, is so much about, you know, his music, the, the surf and all that early stuff about fun, 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 fun. I think what you're hitting on with Long Promised Road is the family thing that Mark uh, got this conversation going about. And for me, uh, there's a lot of faith in Brian's song, spirituality, uh, you know, even some you know Christian hymns kind of thing. Yes. Um, and I think that's a that that's Long Promised Road. Uh, pastor, I did sermons. It is a great way of speaking about faith, about yes. keeping going about having a destination. I'm not going to preach here, I promise, but uh, I, I just think it wraps up on so many levels so well. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I did too. I knew it was, a, it was a leap of faith and um, and I did. I knew it it didn't fit. And But in my heart, you know, when I read the lyrics and when you hear the song and then when you see the movie and how Brian connects to the song, it truly was um, for me the, the title. And, yeah. um, um, and I, I, and it is, and it represents Brian's journey as well. Doesn't it? It's, it's just, um, you know, Brian's, Brian's journey has, uh, um, it, it's one of faith and, and it is, it's, it's, it's one that, uh, he, he tries to renew every day. You know, he gets up every day to try to renew that. Well said, you know, that song, I've always connected it to Brian, even knowing that it, that it was a Carl song. I mean, there's something about the voice of that song that seems to be a continuation of the emotional struggle we see in earlier Beach Boys songs on Pet Sounds, for example. I, I always felt it just, it, Carl was kind of picking up the spiritual baton, if, if you will, and, and, and running with it. Um, and, and it seems like in the movie, when, when Brian's in a more sort of exploratory mood of his emotions, that's the song that he requests. But I think in both times he requested, he asked Jason to turn it off at a certain point because maybe he's getting a little bit too invested in it and then when he wants a pick me up he chooses it's okay those seem to be the two like key songs yeah. of, of of this film yes yeah, and it's a it's you're, you nailed it 100 percent. when he needs that kind of that pick me up and and we did we talked about it's okay as a, as a potential title um because that is the that. other That's one what i thought when i heard that song sorry yeah. Yep. Yep. No, that is. And we, and we did, we, you know, it was a very, very close second because as you said, Mark, it's, that's the other song. And what's great about that song is, is it's such a, um, you know, I wouldn't say forgotten masterpiece, but again, an overlooked song. It's, you know, at first it's, you know, at first here, you don't think, okay, this is, you know, some incredible, you know, Brian Wilson composition or Mike Bryan and Mike composition. It's a fun song and it's, you know, it's got Mike's fingerprints on it, too, about getting in the car and all of that. But when you dig just a little bit deeper, and which I did because Brian kept asking to hear the song, I was like, I've got to re-listen to this song now. <laughs> and when I re-listened to it in the context now of Brian asking for it, I heard the song in a completely different way. Yes. And I loved that um, as a fan um of brian's i'm like i've rediscovered a song that's just been setting in front of me you know since you know 1976 or whatever it was and now i'm i'm hearing it again almost for the very first time I through brian that. and i loved that i i love that experience i think it fits so well it's okay to have fun is the song but you know sometimes we say when someone says you've been in pain your journey's been difficult you're hurting or you've been beaten up. Uh, some, sometimes uh, the victor can basically just say, you know what? It's okay. I, I've, I've survived. I've, I've uh, made it through. There's a beautiful moment right before, you know, he goes to Hawthorne. We scheduled um, to do Hawthorne as our last trip with Brian. Cause we, you know, we suspected that that might be a difficult, you know, journey for him to go, to go back home. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we've decided, you know, that's going to be our last day of shooting. That's going to be going to be our last day. And um, and I, he was pretty good, actually. He wasn't, you know, but it was definitely, 
I think you see in the film, he's not particularly comfortable always going back to Hawthorne. It's painful for him. A lot of, a lot of painful memories there. And just as literally as he gets off the 405, he asks Jason, hey, will you play It's Okay for me? And mm -hmm. I think it's those lyrics, gotta go, gotta go through it, gotta, I can't remember get the lyrics, guys. gotta get to it, gotta push through it. There's, there's a, a kind of a mantra there in the middle that I think means a lot to Brian. And uh, when I replayed that song, I, I heard it in a completely different way. Wow. Well, you talk about the brothers, you talk about Hawthorne. I, I don't think he said anything about Murray uh, in, in on camera in, 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 the, in the final cut. Uh, but I mean, you do introduce Murray through archival interviews and you made a very bold directorial decision when Brian is in the studio and it starts off like he seems OK and then and then he's not OK. And, and he seems to be have, hearing those voices that, that we know he hears. And then you decide to overlay that with the, the infamous audio of, of Murray crashing the Help Me Rhonda session. Obviously, he'd had too much to drink or something. And, and he becomes rather uh, confrontational and abusive towards Brian. And you run that over. So I'm wondering, that's kind of a leap of faith. Or, or, was, or did you talk to Brian afterwards and say, what was going on there, Brian? Like, were you having some kind of like flashback to bad times? I'd love to hear. Sure. No, it, it was definitely a, a little bit of a leap of faith, um, you know, because you can't, you know, as you maybe you've seen in the film, notice in the film, Brian will never say anything bad about Murray. He'll never even say anything bad about Landy. Um, right. He have it in his heart to say anything bad about anybody. Um, um, and, you know, certainly when it comes to Eugene Landy and his father, he just doesn't have it in his heart. So, um we knew he probably was never going to say anything and we knew we would need to work that element into the film. And, um, um, Gene, his manager had told me early on what to look for when he's hearing the voices and Brian will start to look off into a corner. Um, and that's usually when he hears the voices, he's hearing the voices. He'll, you know, he'll stop looking at you or he'll stop looking around the room and he'll look up into a corner. And so when I saw that in the footage, um, I, you know, I took that leap of faith that he's, that he's hearing those voices. And uh, so, but it was, it was an editorial decision. I think I, we didn't, um, I didn't want to go too heavily into the Murray thing. Obviously it's a, it's a subject that's been covered, you know, pretty extensively. I think most even casual fans know, um, but I did want to have, you know, a moment in there where, you know, to let new viewers who might be seeing and learning about this for the first time that, you know, he does come out of that relationship. Um, and then we, of course, applied the same thing, the same philosophy with, uh, with Landy. Um, because again, he just, you know, Brian will not, you know, he just doesn't have it in his heart to say anything poor about anyone, which is, I think, a testament to, to Brian Wilson's soul. Those of us who kind of lived through that from afar, you know, we, uh, but, if we lived through it in real time, those two figures and maybe a couple others loomed very large in their moment, uh, which was more than a moment for Brian. It was years of growing up and years with Landy. Uh, what I like about what you just said and what you did is you said, these things happen. These guys were uh, maybe a little bit of heroes, but also <laughs> pretty much a villain. Yes. Um, but you know what? It, it's part of Brian's life. And I'm not sure that that's what they were trying to do, but they did not conquer him. Forgive no, me, I'm preaching absolutely. again. But uh, absolutely, you put it in, in the the text needed to be in there, but it was in the context of he's the survivor. He's, absolutely, he did it. He conquered that's exactly him. it. Brian is a survivor, and and he overcame both of those situations. And it's it's it is it's still in his heart to you know when you when you watch the film you know he talks about landy helping him lose weight and helping him <laughs> kick cigarettes and he gives landy credit and then he'll say yeah he talked to me mean and it was mean to me and i don't understand why he was mean to me but uh but he got me off cigarettes and he got me off of cocaine and and he gives credit to landy for that and that is um that's pretty remarkable i think and um i i hope i hope fans take that away you know when when they when they see the film that um you know brian is just uh he's incapable of of ill will 
He's just, even to those who've treated him so poorly. I think the relationship with Landy is, is even more complex than Brian ever lets on. I mean, yeah, the official line, I've, I've asked Brian about it and he said, well, you know, I said, what's, what was good about Landy? He said, well, he got me into shape. But, yes. you know, when Landy died, Brian showed up at Carney's house. I have this in my book. And he said to Carney and Rob Bonfiglio, Carney's husband, said, I, I want to record the song My Secret Love by Doris Day. So I think he, he might have felt stronger about Landy than, than, than sometimes he will let on Absolutely. as the official line. It's a complex relationship. Yeah, agreed 100%. Yeah, yeah. It's a very, yeah, it's a very complex relationship. And I, I think that comes through with the film, you know, because it would be very easy for him now looking back 30 years later and go, you know, look what happened to me. But Brian doesn't like to play the victim. It's been, what, four years since you made this movie? Yeah, we started four years ago. Um, uh, we finished uh, about a year and a half ago. And we held out for a theatrical release. We, you know, COVID hit and we, um, we had the, uh, we were supposed to debut at Tribeca uh, 2020. And we got the call about two weeks before um, the festival was about to start that uh, it was being canceled. And um, it was just a crazy time that, you know, that year, nobody knew quite what was going on, um, how long it was going to last, where theater is going to come back. And so, we just kind of put the film on pause and uh, waited for things to, you know, hopefully get a little better. And because my my hope and my goal has always been for 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 fans to be able to see this, you know, have the opportunity to see it in a theater if they can. And so, just very very fortunate that you know we're going to have that opportunity now. It's a very it's a priceless look at what Brian was like four years ago. I, I'm wondering. Have you been much in touch with Brian lately and how, how is he doing now? I know that we, we did the virtual press conference a few months ago and, and he was there, but are, are you a lot in touch with him and how is he doing? Yeah, he's doing great. I'll, I'm going to see him today. I'm leaving here in just a few minutes and heading up to the house. And I uh, was with him a couple of days last week. Um, and yeah, he's doing well. He's, he's doing really well. He's, um, you know, he misses the road. He loves to be on the road um he loves being with his band um so i know that short tour was you know that little run there in october that they had on the east coast uh was meant a lot to him um i don't know if anybody had a chance to see those shows but he sounded amazing he's working with a new vocal coach he works oh, with this good. pretty much every day and his voice sounds as good as I've heard him, you know, sound since we started the film. And he's he's proud of his voice right now. He's really proud that he's working with his vocal coach, and and very proud that his that his voice is is sounding good. So, are you guys cooking something up, or are you promoting the film, or are you just hanging out? Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, just promoting the film and hanging out. Yeah, yeah. Anytime I can get a chance to go see Brian, I want to go see Brian and, and say hi and, and see the kids. I love his kids. I've, I've, uh, um, I, the, the family is, I've become close with the family and, and, and of course with Brian. And it's just always a pleasure and a, and a joy to, to spend time with him. So anytime, and he's, you know, the house is full of dogs. You know, he's, Brian's got like 12 dogs, there's two new puppies. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's just always fun to hang out at the house. Well, when, when you see him, tell him there's two guys who do a podcast. We love him dearly and we would love to interview him on a 409 podcast, four minutes and nine seconds. And we'll let him go. <laughs> you got we'll it. Absolutely. I will tell him that today. <laughs> Brent, you, uh, you have a, a very impressive array of talent in this film, uh, to name a few, Bruce Springsteen, Elton John, Nick Jonas, Taylor Hawkins of the Foo Fighters. Um, so I'm wondering what was what was the level of willingness of of, of the people that you approached? Sure, e pretty much everybody said yes. Um, I don't remember. I don't recall getting any no's um, from anyone. We were very selective. I wanted a really select list of people. I didn't want a lot of people, um, but I wanted a really diverse list. So, you know, I wanted, you know, Springsteen because he's an American legend. I wanted Elton John because he's a British legend, um, you know, of, 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 of his generation. I wanted, uh, Jason had suggested, which I loved, was Jim James. 
you know, Jim is a younger guy. He is, you know, king of indie rock. Um, I wanted Nick Jonas. Nick Jonas is, you know, uh, king of pop. And he has, uh, he was in a, a band with two brothers um, when he yeah, was a young yeah, yeah. teenager. And now in his 20s, he's struggling to shake that pop sound and creating a more adult sound. So I thought, man, if there's anybody that knows Brian's journey right now, it is Nick Jonas. So I wanted him. He said yes. Um, Gustavo Dudamel, who is probably the most famous conductor in the world. He conducts the L.A. Philharmonic. He conducts the, the, the Paris Opera House. And he's from Venezuela. And, you know, so my, my goal was if you're flipping the channel and you come across these four or five people, you would go, what in the world do these have in common? Mm. Answer could be Brian Wilson. And um, so that, that, that was how that list was, was decided. Um, I, I wanted individual opinions and, and, and insight from a real variety of people. And, and I'm really, really happy and pleased that we were able to get that. And their comments were stunning. I mean, they're so not just effusive, like, oh, he's wonderful. We love him, Brian Wilson, but but they were specific. And, and, and as I said, to me, stunning in uh, how they're couching or, or communicating his role in, in yes. the, this musical universe. Yeah, thank you. And I, I think those guys are all, every one of them, when you think about Springsteen and Elton and Jim James, these guys are all true musicians, right? They're, you know, they're producers, they're writers, they're singers, you know, they're, they're, they really encompass, you know, the, the complete package of, of, of musician. And um, uh, so I, I was, I did, I wanted, as you said, that's you know, not somebody to just kind of be effusive. I really wanted to try to kind of gain insight into into what makes Brian's music work and, you know, as best we could. Right. I don't think, you know, at the end of the day, most of them say, you know, I don't know how you do it, but they try to explain it um, as best they can. Well, oh, the, the, um, my favorite moments were with Don was I just you mentioned know, his name. Go for it. Yes. Yeah. Behind the mixing board. And, you know, playing with the Pet Sounds tracks and, you know, uh, turning this down, turning this up, isolating. And he's just like, I give up. Like, I have no idea how we do. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> is that a harmonica? Is that a banjo? I don't even know. Yeah, it was great. Um, uh, Al Jardine, one, one Beach Boy comment. How did that? How did, did you go for that or how did that just come about? Yeah, you know, it was, um, you know, Al's, of course, out with Brian, and yeah. um, uh, I, I really wanted, I, I would have liked to have gotten more, I think, with Al. Um, um, just, I really wanted to talk about their friendship, I think, more than anything else. Um, I think that's kind of one of my regrets. I, I wish I could have had more more time with Al, and not to talk about the Beach Boys, but just to kind of talk about Al and Brian's um, uh, friendship. Um, it's just... It's tough, you know, you get, uh, you know, you want to make a, make the film, uh, you know, commercially available and, and keep it at a, at a, at a, at a, at a yeah, at a link that is. I'm interrupting you, Brett, but I do that with everybody. But uh, that's an interesting perspective because of the Beach Boys, Al is the one who is a friend. I mean, Mike is a cousin, you know, so there's family. Um, and now in this, like you say, his third chapter, uh, he's brought Al into the uh, the band and featured him, not you know, in a, a proper way. So it would be great. Your next film, uh, yes, friendship absolutely. with Brian and Alan. Tell us how that works. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you yeah, said that, you shot seventy hours. So what 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 is some what are some of the stuff that's on the cutting room floor that might be of interest to fans? Good. You know, there's um, it's there's there's one scene in particular that I really wish was in there, um, uh, and hopefully we'll get an extended cut someday. Um, you know, we took Brian back to visit Hawthorne High School, and you know when when we were when we reached out to the school to shoot this to shoot at the school, they actually asked. They said, you know, Brian received an F here in music class, <laughs> and uh, I have the the principal of the school said, you know, I have the ability to change that grade. <laughs> and I think we should change that grade. And I was like, sold, brilliant idea. <laughs> I'm like, and and so and we did. So we took him back, 
And she changed the grade, officially changed the grade in his records from an F to an A. Because wow. um, there is a, uh, a stipulation that says that there's a, um, if you apply a certain amount of work, you know, uh, after school work towards one of those classes, it can qualify for a grade. Well, Brian certainly you know, worked <laughs> as being a musician and, and got his F and A. So that scene, unfortunately, didn't make the cut. I hope that makes um, the, uh, the, the next, uh, the extended cut. Um, and then the rest of it is there's just kind of these funny non sequiturs. Um, you know, as you guys know with Brian, you know, he'll just kind of say things that are random and that are funny. And they're just, they kind of come out of nowhere and they're difficult to try to tie into an overall story, um, but they're just funny as heck and just completely random. And I hope some of those, you know, make it in. There's, you know, we were, we were talking about it. Jason and I were kind of reminiscing yesterday. There was a, a moment where they were talking about uh, Brian in the 70s was working out because he wanted to build up his pecs. And, you know, yeah, he wanted good pecs. And, you know, I just thought that was hilarious, you know, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I wanted, I wanted pecs. <laughs> I just thought, you know, that's fantastic. But I couldn't quite figure out how to make that work. <laughs> to, well, uh, we, we know to what work. you mean about non sequiturs from the press conference, because, you know, yeah. Brian, Brian was fairly silent, whereas, you know, you and Jason were, were talking and answering questions. And then all of a sudden, Brian would say, apropos of nothing, like, Jason, remember the time we went for those steaks? Jason, remember that lobster dinner we had? And, and yeah. I'm wondering how much food did Brian and Jason consume throughout the production of this documentary? Oh, a, a ton. It was all about the food. It's all about the food. We were constantly driving to a restaurant or driving from a restaurant. That is, uh, yeah, Brian loves his food. He loves a good meal. And he likes to, you know, what I enjoyed was, was really neat is he likes to, we would break for something. You know, sometimes we, of course, we shot some of the meals, you know, you see at the deli, you know, Brian's favorite place. And, you know, we, we shot some of those scenes and, you know, because the deli is very important to Brian, but sometimes we would shoot and, um, or sometimes we would, we would break for lunch and, and the whole crew was eating and, and Brian just liked to hang out with the crew and, you know, we'd all sit together and he would ask, you know, how old are you and what do you do? And I think that's some, some of wow. my favorite memories is, is Brian just kind of hanging out with the crew and, and being one of the guys um, I think he likes that, um, uh, that element that, you know, he does have, you know, he grew up with two brothers and he was a jock in high school and, you know, he was a great quarterback and a great baseball player. And, you know, he did have a lot of friends, you know, I think that's kind of one of the, you know, misconceptions of Brian is that he was this teenage loner. Well, no, Brian was a great athlete and a lot of friends and very funny guy. And he liked hanging out with the boys. And so I think he liked that on this show when we were shooting we would just sit down at a restaurant and you know big table of 10 12 guys and brian would sit in the middle and he would talk to everyone and ask questions and but they're always kind of misnomers <laughs> but yeah you're right non sequiturs with uh with, with brian <laughs> uh, apparently we have time for uh, one more question i, I was going to ask you brent um so there is an Oscar push I have read for this film, particularly for the song Right Where I Belong, which is featured in the film and which uh, Brian co-wrote with Jim James of, of My Morning Jacket. So could you tell us about uh, that song, how it, how it came to be and uh, about this Oscar push? Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm so proud of this song. I, I, I love this song. Um, you know, as you've seen in the film, one of the things that we did was, you know, um, I wanted to create an environment for Brian in the studio. I, uh, you know, nowadays when people record, they don't record like you see in the film, you know, with the full band, you know, in a big empty studio like Brian did in 64 with the band and with the wrecking crew or whatever. Nowadays it's, you know, usually one or two instruments at a time and it's, you know, all through Pro Tools and that type of thing. And, but I wanted to see Brian interacting with his band. I wanted to create a situation. Our producers were, were kind enough to, to finance that because it's a very expensive process to do it that way. So what you see at the film, uh, what you see in the film is, is Brian going into the studio. And I told Brian, you record whatever you want to record. 
this is your session. This is not, you know, you do whatever you want to do. There is no agenda here. There is no, you know, make an album that fits this genre or whatever the case may be that may have come from a, a label or something. This is, this is a strictly you'd record what you want to record. So he records uh, some great songs. He records Honeycomb. Um, uh, he wanted to, you know, which is, uh, I think, Jimmy Rogers' song. And um, he records uh, um, uh, some songs that kind of uh, uh, go back, you know, a few years um, from some of the Paley sessions. He wanted to re-record It's Okay. He wanted to re-record Long Promise Road. Um, and it was amazing to watch him um, uh, to work on these songs. As you guys probably recall, though, during that time, you know, so he had this beautiful melody that he wrote for uh, that he was writing um, for the film. And uh, there was a brand new song. It's a brand new song. He was writing this melody. And I just love this melody. He, um, Brian had to have back surgery. I don't know if you guys recall, you know, a few years ago, mm -hmm. Brian had to have two back surgeries. First back surgery went really poorly, apparently. Um, and didn't solve the issue. And he was still in a tremendous amount of pain. And then he had to have a second back, it's back surgery. And he even canceled some shows. It was the first time Brian had ever canceled shows, um, which was pretty shocking when you think about it. Um, and, and he was in a lot of pain. And so um, when we did it, we finished our couple of days and he was just, he was like, I, I you know, I'm, I, I, you know, I, I can't do anymore. I'm, 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 I, I'm hurting. And so I was like, of course, no, I, we, we completely understand. So we had this beautiful melody that he had written. And I was going to use this melody as score in the film. I was just going to use it, you know, uh, as score because it didn't have any lyrics. But Jim James came in and Jim is a huge fan and he appears in the film. And he also sings with Brian and Blondie on Long Promised Road. And uh, we were talking to Jim and I was telling him about this beautiful melody that Brian had just wrote. and he goes, you know, do you mind if I take a shot at some lyrics with Brian mind? And I go, well, let me ask Brian. And so I asked Brian, I was like, Brian, what do you think? And he goes, Jim's cool. <laughs> he goes, you know, which is like the sign off, right? That's, you know, if you're cool, you know, that's, you know, that's the sign off. So uh, just I, to interrupt for a second, Jim sure. James does a fantastic cover of I just wasn't made for these times. Fans got incredible isn't it? to search that one out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful version if you've not heard it. Um, so I emailed Jim. And I sent him the track at, at nine o'clock uh, one night and at two o'clock in the morning, uh, my phone dings and <laughs> Jim had sent me back the song. And he goes, you know, I don't know if this is what you're looking for, um, but I was just kind of so inspired by this film and, you know, the relationship between Brian and Jason and Brian really kind of telling his story, his own story for the first time. Um, he just loved the concept of what we were doing. He goes, I was inspired by that. And so he goes, I, I, I wrote a song. I tried to write a song from Brian's perspective and, um, let me know what you think. I played it. Um, I was lying in bed and just, you know, tears rolled down my, you know, face, just, I couldn't believe it. Um, I got up the next morning, went up to Brian's house, um, and, and played the song for Brian. I said, Brian, what do you think? And he goes, it's cool. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and, um, the, it, so I'm, I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud that we've got a brand new original song by Brian Wilson um, for the film. And, you know, with beautiful, incredible lyrics from Jim James and uh, with Brian and Jim singing on it together. Um, and it's, it's, it's worthy. Our producers uh, agreed that, you know, we need to push this for an Oscar. We need to, this, this is, this is worthy of, of, of a campaign. And so I've, I've got, I'm very thankful that they're, that they're out there trying to make that happen because it is a great song and Brian and Jim do deserve some recognition on it. And I can't wait for fans to hear it. It's woven throughout the film. Um, you know, you'll hear it, you know, three or four times in the movie pieces here and there, but I can't wait for everybody to hear the song. Is there going to be a soundtrack album? Cause I also want to hear Blondie Chaplin singing lead on long promise road. Oh, it's yeah. 
stunning mark. Blondie on Long Promise Roads, Blondie, Jim, and Brian. And it is, it rocks. It absolutely rocks. Can't wait. So yeah, there will be a soundtrack. Um, it'll be available, I believe, on uh, November 19th for streaming. And then uh, vinyl next year. Unfortunately, I think everybody's probably read, you know, vinyl is backed up. You know, for nobody's getting vinyl these days. So unfortunately, it's just in such short supply. And uh, uh, so unfortunately, the vinyl won't be out um, until next year, but there will be a vinyl. Um, but the digital downloads will be available on November 19th. And it's an amazing soundtrack with a lot of great music uh, from the film, all original um, and a lot of it never heard before. And uh, and Brian with his band just kicking butt in the studio. Can't wait for everybody to hear it. The film is Brian Wilson, Long Promise Road in theaters for fans only November 17th, wider release on November 19th and VOD. Director Brent Wilson, thank you so much for being here. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you today. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. And like I said, I'm a big fan of the podcast. And yeah, keep keep uh, keep spreading the gospel. Amen to that. <laughs> and thank you, everybody, for listening. Come back next time and we'll do it again. <laughs>